Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Got a lot to get to here. Some news. Brendan Ingram surgery plenty of other lakers drama and then we got to talk about the rest of the teams in the eastern conference gonna go a little bit deeper on them but first i want to remind you that support for today's show comes from sonos with their home theater you can feel like you're at the game with 5.1 surround sound you can enjoy hands-free control of your whole system with sonos one which integrates well with alexa when you have people over and they want to play music they can get out of your system as well with the sonos app it sounds fantastic definitely really enjoy watching movies and tv shows sounds great with that soundtrack on star trek the next generation which is one of our favorite shows go to sonos.com to learn more that's s-o-n-o-s sonos.com i remember when i was like oh yeah we're gonna be on a full schedule from now on and then i immediately got food poisoning so didn't have an episode last night but hopefully this is out today in time for your evening commute let's catch up on a little bit of news here before we talk about the incredibly exciting bottom of the eastern conference that we didn't have a chance to get to on sunday where i want to start with the news danny is with additional news on brandon ingram you and dan talked about how he had deep venous thrombosis in his right shoulder however what appears to be the case now is that that was not caused due to some sort of condition with his blood but actually a physical issue with the veins in that right shoulder and so he underwent thoracic outlet decompression a lot of thoracic in this year's injury reports and he's supposed to be able to return to full basketball activities in about four months or so and could make a return to the court within actually about eight weeks so his agent jeff schwartz says quote it's a night and day difference between a hematological issue which is a blood issue or however you want to put it and a structural issue this is not related to his blood producing something that would cause blood clots it's purely structural and that is most important both for a guy who's going to be up for an extension this offseason and for the lakers who may want to trade him and his potential trade value that it seems at least that's the party line and i I see no reason to dispute that at this point in time that this is not something that has as much of a risk of recurring as if it were a hematological issue recurrence is the the word of the day here and from what it sounds like this is the type of thing that shouldn't be as likely now for those who remember with chris bosh it was the recurrence that was what functionally ended his nba career because there's just too much of a risk for a team to take on and more importantly it it really affects the rest of that player's life like you get into those sorts of conversations but this at least for right now looks incredibly encouraging it's great to hear that it's you know obviously it's still not great you don't you don't want to have you don't want to have any sorts of these issues but if you're going to be in this part of you know health then you want it to be a structural thing something that can be corrected that can be dealt with in time and yeah as you brought up you know this how this affects ingram's contract value for his next deal how this affects theoretically if the lakers wanted to move him to get anthony davis or someone else that is all a a factor here and also the timeline there i mean that it looked the expectation is that he'll be able to return to basketball activities in you know as soon as eight weeks like that would be before theoretically in all likelihood that he would be traded and now how much access teams have to that and and of course the Lakers are going to say he looks great and all that kind of stuff whether they want to keep him or not but still overwhelmingly good news yeah presumably an AD trade is going to occur around the time of the 
draft, although perhaps wouldn't be officially consummated until after the new league year comes into play. Another interesting Lakers rumor here, reported by Peter Vesti, but something that I'd heard some rumblings of uh, as well, that the Lakers are interested in the Clippers' Doc Rivers. And that is really when you consider that the Lakers and Clippers are competing for free agents. Uh, and we got to talk, by the way, about um, balls here in a little bit as well and big surprise of course that the lakers being interested in someone under contract has gotten out that's never happened before uh well well i mean but they're just looking for an upgraded general manager and that's what that's what rock divers can give them i mean seriously he might be at certain points well doesn't it make sense to you though that that the lakers are looking for an upgrade at general manager i mean we've been really disappointed in what magic and palenka have done so if they can get somebody get somebody (laughs) else i mean I, I, I would oh, go man. with somebody other than Doc Rivers for that position, but hey, I mean, an upgrade's an upgrade. But more seriously, I mean, Doc Rivers is one hell of a coach. I, I think that the, the job that he has done this year is incredibly impressive. It's a different job than the one that he did, you know, over the last couple of years. I mean, the Lob City team, even last year's team was more of an island of misfit toys in some ways than this year's team was. There was more stability other than obviously the Tobias Harris trade. But I mean, last year they just dealt with injuries, Blake and all the other kind of stuff that was going on. And he's one hell of a coach. He is better than the person I expected the Lakers to get if they were going to move on from Luke Walton. So Doc is under contract until 2021 with the Clippers. That obviously would be an impediment. You imagine that compensation would be required if you were to go to the Lakers and maybe the Clippers are just not going to do it. You know, I, I think especially when you consider that they're competing for the same free agents as the Lakers, that there's this these emails that came to light, which were derisive uh, of Steve Ballmer by Jamie Buss just recently, that they've been rivals in the city for a long time. Also, by the way, Doc Rivers might realize that the Clippers have a better chance to win going forward than the Lakers do. You know, I mean, that I, I would probably rather put my eggs in the Clippers' basket or basket going forward here. Now, maybe if, if the Lakers get AD, that's a little different. But yeah, I'm. Uh, I'd be very interested to see how this plays out. I mean, maybe Doc Rivers just wants to be the Lakers' head coach. If that's the case and he really wants to do that, perhaps it's possible that they can get there. But it does seem like it would be very, very difficult. And remember, the way these coach trades works is basically you're not specifically trading him. You are just receiving draft pick compensation to let him out of his contract so he can sign a new contract. And then generally also, as we saw with the last coach trade, which was Doc Rivers, big surprise, going to the Clippers from the Celtics, there'll usually be a prohibition on an additional move between those teams including players for one year let's turn now to that yeah go ahead sorry i was gonna say so that would a lot prevent the clippers from trading zubach back which they wouldn't do anyway because they're happy with it but yeah i mean yeah but we should go to that story um from the la times that was basically about the internal communications well internally you know non-public communications between the lakers and um and I would MSG is that probably the right the right entity to kind of describe this with with a party related to that about the Lakers potentially relocating within Los Angeles back to the Forum in Inglewood. Yeah, I didn't find that particularly compelling, although it does kind of set the scene for the genesis of this lawsuit. Basically, the allegations in the lawsuit of MSG suing the city of Englewood is the city of Englewood convinced MSG to give up a lease on a parking lot that it had for parking at the Forum. Because there's going to be more parking available at the new Rams Stadium in Englewood, MSG agreed. These are just the allegations of the suit with all those discoveries to determine whether it's actually correct or not the city of englewood said hey you know we just want want to use this land for i I forget what it was but some innocuous purpose and then shortly thereafter they turn around and enter into this exclusive negotiating agreement with the clippers to build the new arena there the clippers tried to fast track it for an environmental perspective in part because of msg's 
efforts that was defeated the Clippers lease of course doesn't even end at Staples Center until 2024 but you imagine they could buy themselves out of that lease at Staples if their arena were able to get finished beforehand doesn't appear like it would really be on track to be have that happen anyway but now what's happening is the discovery process of this lawsuit is going on and folks this is why you don't want to get sued if you are at all a public company a public persona we all say things in our private communications with people that we would never say publicly that's just the nature of things every single person on earth no matter who they are has stuff in their private communications that they don't want to be made public and when you get sued oftentimes that is what ends up happening now apparently there is an error on the la court's website and the la times nathan benno was able to grab over ten thousand documents there's just not necessarily a reason why this stuff should be made public right now a lot of times you'll see lawyers kind of leak that stuff but i would guess that the judge would not look kindly on that but it looks like this is actually just a court screw up and so that's why all this stuff is coming public now now if they went to trial it would of course any exhibit used at trial would become public as well but what it was it about uh, other than the fact that the lakers you know irving azoff and msg which is you know obviously jim dolan is very active there so you've basically got two nba team owners against another here with uh dolan and the buses against steve balmer what did you find kind of most explosive about these emails that came out i mean sure the forum was trying to get the lakers back i you know it doesn't seem like that was really uh, on its way to happening because they spent all this money to revamp the forum just to be for concerts they would have had to like totally build a new arena basically to have the lakers back but anything else here that really sticks out to you danny i think what what struck me was and this isn't a surprise but how dismissive bus and the lakers you know just like because i think uh rambus was also uh not not kurt rambus but kurt rambus's wife linda rambus kurt rambus's wife was was in this was how dismissive and they were of the clippers and steve balmer and like basically like oh he doesn't know what he's getting into and all that kind of stuff and that's you know i I mean i think that having let's let's call it professional respect for for what you're getting into especially because like the clippers did make they did make moves i mean granted some of that happened after the fact on this type of stuff like that is i don't know I, i i there's been this weird thing with the lakers i mean there's been some reporting about this about you know like magic johnson's role and plank and all this that the lakers are very it's i'm i'm a little not surprised but it's weird how much they seem to be thinking like well we're the lakers and so that's why that's why these things are going to work out or all that kind of stuff and i think that was true in the parts of these communications that we saw as well yeah i mean some of the things that came over is from azoff saying basically that the mayor screwed them they didn't even know the lakers did who owned the land that the clippers are trying to build on they of course called steve balmer balls b-a-l-l-z and genie says didn't ball see what we did to my brother he will have nothing but clippers basketball meaning that at this new arena part of the reason you build this arena is you want to have other dates there as well so they're competing with staples and ag they're competing obviously with the form so a lot of this appears to be based on what's going to happen for concerts etc this could be a basketball only venue so the kings wouldn't be involved but our concerts going to go to this new clippers arena or not and uh, that's the thought here is like that staples center will continue to get all of the or at least what gene bus seems to believe that staples center will continue to get all of the ancillary revenue outside of clippers basketball and of course a nice little shot at uh good old jim bus uh, as well in case you're wondering what that uh relationship is like these days uh, as uh jim bus is well into the sunset thankfully so i mean the la times has all these emails takes a while to go through ten thousand emails but i would expect plenty more interesting stuff to come out of this lawsuit so far uh where do you want to go next let's go to portland even though there's a word in here that i can't pronounce um Por- cj mccollum had went down with a knee injury it was like one of those things it was very concerning at the time fortunately it is not as severe it is a, a poplitis strain in his left I th- I knee think it's, uh, pop- and pop-lidious. he will be re- poplitius poplitius 
Poplidius, and he will be re-examined in a week. Portland beat, they won their game last night. Damian Lillard had a had a fantastic game as they, they eventually took control against Indiana. And, the, it, I mean, you never want a guy to be out, but when you see somebody go down with a knee injury, then you just kind of, you, you, you hope for the best, and this seems to be about the best that they could have expected. Yeah, the Poplidius is a small muscle in the back of the knee that kind of connects the hamstring and the calf. It's used to completely straighten the knee. Kevin Garnett is the only example that Jeff Stotts was able to find from 2009, and it sounds like that was a much more severe injury than this one, because you'll recall KG made a brief return and then apparently re-injured it in Utah, and it was essentially never the same after that and that killed that 2009 Celtics season they were having another amazing year that 2019 before he got hurt might even been better than their 2018 because Rondo had really taken a step forward that year but I digress so we'll see it sounds like there's not a danger of him being out for the playoffs his level of effectiveness is of course a question when he returns but if this is a two to three weeker hopefully he can get back obviously you know this isn't like the Warriors where if he misses the first round series they'll be okay this is he's got to be back and going 100% if they're going to improve on that dreadful performance they had in the first round a season ago. We can jump to another team competing for them with seeding, the Utah Jazz. Unfortunately, Dante Exum suffered a partially torn patellar tendon in his right knee. He is sidelined indefinitely. Hopefully, Utah's point guard injuries do not continue to go in threes because Rubio and Hull Neto are both available right now. So, you know, they have guys that can fill the minutes. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell has taken over some of the ball handling as well. But, you know, this is concerning for Exum, obviously, and for the Jazz, who, you know, need all need all the guard quality they can muster. Yeah, Exum making about $9 million a year. He's got some incentives there, which uh, doesn't look like he's going to be reaching. So partially torn patellar tendon is a lot better than fully torn. Last player I can recall to have a partially torn patellar tendon is Yusuf Nurkic. In his second year in the league, he was able to come back, struggled the first part of the year, and then got traded to Portland and obviously played very well. But, I mean, this is just so many injuries for Exum now. I think you're going to just have to kind of classify him in the just can't stay healthy category any longer. And with his inability to, to develop his jump shot, and of course he's had a, a lot of time on the shelf going back to that torn ACL he suffered after his first year in the league, it's looking like that contract is going to be a... It was a bet by Utah but it's looking like it's going to be a loser and Exum I think especially if Utah matches up with Houston will be missed he did a really nice job guarding James Harden last year in OKC Russell Westbrook was suspended for OKC's game against Miami due to receiving a 16th technical foul in just an absolutely ridiculous situation he thought he got fouled basically like sprinted up to a Warriors player I can't remember who it was and just chest bumped him and then started barking at the referee and got himself that 16 technical which uh had about a zero percent chance of being rescinded you'll remember a couple of years ago very late in the years they were trying to make the playoffs this is one of the first dunk downs we ever t- talked about he got that 16th technical and got it rescinded so he actually was able to play as they were fighting for the playoffs but ended up not making it uh New Orleans made it instead so every second technical he will get suspended now of course that resets during the playoffs but OKC now four and nine in their last 13 as they got beaten pretty handily by Miami aside from a late rally last night so that was a really I mean and you know it's not only just that technical but to get the 16th technical on such an obvious dumb technical really seems pretty irresponsible and to compound a frustration foul with that you know and and it took him out of a game that they they needed him I mean Miami zone I actually kind of want to talk about that in the 15 and 60 when we do it there was some interesting stuff there but yeah I mean he hurt their team's chances of winning that game and every win every game matters in that kind of morass in the middle of the middle of the Western Conference one that happened last night Kyle Lowry got kind of rolled up by Mitchell Robinson late in their blowout and Lowry, it, it, you know, he had one of those reactions. He hit the ground twice, like slapped the ground twice where you're like, oh crap, is it something really bad? Fortunately, it doesn't look like it's that serious. He's questionable for their game on Wednesday against the aforementioned Oklahoma City Thunder, but 
you know, again, the, the question with a guy like Kyle Lowry is really, is this something that will be around in mid-April rather than mid-March? And it seems like that'll be okay. So that's very good news. Un- you know, CJ Miles, less good news, but Memphis is less competitive. He has a stress reaction in his left foot. He will miss the remainder of this season, but the Grizzlies expect a full recovery. I have a feeling that he's going to pick up his player option. Do you agree? Oh man, sorry, I'm still recovering from illness. I can't, I can't really, sorry, I can't really muster my usual enthusiasm there. In Milwaukee, the Bucks made a decision to do a personnel move in response to Malcolm Brogdon's injury, which we talked about on the 15 and 60. They decided to sign Tim Frazier, and because they have 15 guys under contract after signing Pau Gasol, that meant that they had to cut somebody. They cut Christian Wood. I still like Christian Wood. I think that he could he could help a team, and the structure of his contract is some is like I. When a guy gets waived and they have a favorable contract, I would be even more on board with picking them up. And in Wood's case, his contract is fully non-guaranteed until the first day of the 1920 regular season. So you basically get a flyer on him. There are a bunch of teams, I think, that could, you know, especially if they have a roster spot available, but that that could benefit from just talented player. You get him for, you know, if you want, if you, if you can get him to play in summer league, training camp, all that kind of stuff, fully on board with a team taking a chance on Christian Wood. We'll see if it actually happens. I mean, I think there's teams that he could actually help right now you know he's had a cup of coffee in charlotte before but that's a team that's really struggling at the center position at the moment the warriors have uh they've been dealing with some instability at center you know kevin durant's back but now demarcus cousins he left the game with a um a sore uh, it looks like there wasn't kind of sure if it was a foot or an ankle issue the mri was on his ankle and it came back clean he did not play in monday's loss to san antonio Lamarck Soldiers played really well. DeMar DeRozan was huge late in that game. Andrew Bogut actually started in his stead. Looked pretty good, you know, looked pretty Bogut-y during that stretch. Actually got called for an illegal screen, I think it was seven seconds into the game, which was pretty amusing. And we don't know a timeline for Cousins. He could return on Tuesday against the Wolves. He could return on Thursday against the Indiana Pacers. So I was glad when I was down in Argentina that I was able to break out some of the Everlane clothes that I got a, bu- got a bunch of summer stuff right before I went on my honeymoon from them. Everlane is actually getting insanely popular right now. Apparently the San Francisco store frequently has a line outside of it to get in. I really like their jeans. My wife likes their polos and t-shirts. They make premium essentials using only the finest materials without traditional markups. Their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. They tell you their real costs they're transparent about every step in the process they use ethical factories they tell you exactly what the materials are and they look great i even had one person come up to me at one of the pre-wedding gatherings and be like yeah everlane i could tell the way to get started with them is at everlane.com slash capspace easy to remember slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's everlane.com slash capspace you'll get free shipping on your first order once again that's everlane.com slash capspace all right let's start with the washington Washington Wizards, who after a desultory loss to the Utah Jazz last night, sit at 30 and 41, but eh, not terrible. Six and five since the last 15 and 60. David Locke had this stat, although it was before they got throttled by Utah, that they actually are number six in offense since John Wall went down. But overall in the season, 13th in offense, negative 2.5 net rating is 24th, and then 26th on defense. They just do not have any decent defensive personnel at this point in time. Maybe Trevor Ariza is the only one. I thought they actually defended pretty well in that Utah game with the starters out there. And then, and they've been starting Bobby Portis at center. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But once they went to their bench with Troy Brown, who has actually been positive on the season from a net rating standpoint, he's played about 500 minutes, but looked really bad defensively in this game. Jabari Parker, Thomas Bryant, you're not going to be able to stop anybody with that group. And that's when Utah managed to pull away. I thought Utah also did an awesome job defending Beal last night about in the competitive portion of the game i think he was had seven points and he was like one out of seven and they just what they were doing was preventing beal from coming off the pin downs by topsiding him basically if you're just standing on top of him and basically giving him a backdoor cut but then they got rudy gobert back there if he does go backdoor so utah did a great job of defending beal but overall beal uh, has been really really good since 
the All-Star break. Yeah, I mean, he has an absolutely incredible workload. I mean, especially considering to what we thought, you know, Beal's role would be. Since the All-Star break, he's playing 40 minutes a game. And remember, this team has a 2% chance of making the playoffs. Like, this is this is a very... Though they had a better chance earlier, you know, the other teams have played better. Anyway, 40 minutes a game in 13 games, 30 points, 6.5 assists, 6 rebounds, and doing so effectively. 62 true shooting on 29% usage, which is actually pretty similar usage to what he did before the break, but a big jump in true shooting. He had those back-to-back night 40 games. So it's not just 40 in consecutive games, it's 40 on consecutive nights, which was pretty impressive. And what's been exciting for me is I remember really one of the things I liked about Beal a lot when he came out of Florida was that he could create for others. I liked what he could do with the ball in his hands. He never seemed like a true on like lead guard type guy, but that he could be like a really good secondary guy. And he had been in assist rate in the, you know, mid teens for most of his career in Washington, jumped all the way up to 21% last year, and then now fueled largely by this stretch where he's been the lead guy, all the way up to 24% assists this year, which is really good. And the Wizards have had a 116 offensive rating when Beal has played without John Wall this year. Let's talk about some of their deadline additions. Fred Katz tweeted this the other day that, hey, NBA Twitter is not going to like this, but Jabari Parker has actually played pretty well for the Wizards. He's been coming off the bench uh, as a power forward, but... uh, closing some games 62 percent true shooting 24 percent usage 17.3 pr which would be the highest of his career other than the season that he had the second acl tear where it really looked like he was about to break out only making 32 percent from three that's not amazing but 67 percent on two pointers 43 percent of his shots at the rim and he's making 73 percent at the rim uh and i think it's kind of interesting that clearly they'll decline his team option for 20 million next year but with their cap space situation not likely to have cap room you could see him returning to washington they'll basically be able to pay him whatever they wanted to you know obviously with the tax being a potential limitation yeah it's strangely similar structurally to paul Millsap. obviously they're not similar players or anything like that but the idea that you can decline the option and because of the way bird rights are structured it's based on prior salary he's not going to make that 20 million or much less a 20 percent raise on that 20 million for next season so you can do that they have the cap hole doesn't matter at all to them in all likelihood so if they want to bring him back they can and with Jabari I mean the challenge that I run into with him and he has been better and that's wonderful is that I just don't think a player with his strengths and weaknesses is particularly valuable you know he's his defense is still awful he I don't think that you can start him for that reason and so yeah he can be a productive player uh, be a part of a, a good bench offense but I don't know that I would give serious money to somebody if I didn't think at especially a power forward if I didn't think that they could be a starter and so while this is good to me this is more in the vein of empty calories than anything else yeah worth noting that they are eight points per 100 possessions better on defense when he's on the floor but number one they suck on defense in general so it's not like they had to make a major improvement there and i did notice him making a little bit more effort in that jazz game he actually blocked a couple of shots it was making a few more rotations his defensive rebounding which was terrible in milwaukee has gotten better 24 percent defensive rebounds he's as a higher assist he's definitely been playing better i think i share your concerns that just the type of player that he is with his limitations defensively and then you know not an amazing spot-up shooter he wants to have the ball in his hand some but he you know he's still not great initiating he's got a little bit better there um but you know he can score and at least in this iteration has scored efficiently so i think there is a place for that kind of player in the league at least he is doing the things that like he's supposed to be able to do at this point in time yeah that's part of this now uh, that he is finishing well around the room he's got a lot of left-handed dunks like so he's i see him as in some ways like the power forward version of tj warren where you don't necessarily want him running pick and roll but you can get him the ball on the move he makes good cuts they've been doing some dribble pitch action for him and transition to get him moving downhill he's still nowhere near as explosive as he was before the second acl injury i think it's actually showed up some in his leaping but even more so in terms of his lateral quickness he used to have a lot of moves where he could actually with a first step get by guys cross guys up create separation a lot of times 
you're seeing him making his initial move getting cut off having to spin back and if he has enough space that could be effective because he's actually using his size more now than he did back he was when he was in milwaukee so yeah i think he could be helpful as a bench scorer this is a team that has not had that type of player really it's just you know don't pay him too much you know keep it to five million seven million or something like that uh and we'll see what his aspirations there are what about bobby portis so far in washington speaking of don't pay him too much i mean portis he's been he started 12 of 17 games playing center full-time for the Wizards I think some of that is due to necessity just who they have available who they do not have available and he's been productive this is this is a part of the Bobby Portis thing if you're looking at counting stats he can he can do things 14.6 points eight rebounds in 26 minutes a game 15.5 PER is lower than when he was on the Bulls this year 56 true shooting is up and amazingly a 25 percent usage rate is lower than what he did in Chicago the guy puts shots up and uh 20 27 percent defensive rebounding good with that uh, and and then i mean what what's so interesting about portis's offensive role is he so he's taking seven threes per hundred possessions and making 46 percent of those but he's also not getting to the line at all so like he's you know he's really a perimeter big and he still is so on offense he has all that and then he's not like a, a great rim protector or anything but he is a wonderful defensive rebounder so this is to me another example of unless you're really really good at that role an example of the type of player that you're find having on your team but you don't necessarily want to pay a lot of money to and Portis's situation is different obviously he doesn't have the injury history that Jabari does but also he is a restricted free agent so the negotiations with him are meaningfully different because a lot of it is a I mean you, you can Myers Leonard is a good example of this you know negotiate separately and maybe teams misread the market but also you're somewhat dependent on how valued that specific individual is around the league. Yeah, Portis shoots jump shots and he rebounds. Those are his two skills. Doesn't do a ton else. And yeah, he's been starting at center, but it's really tough to say due to his lack of lateral quickness that he's better defensively at power forward. You know, it's really, you got to kind of slot him in on bench units if you're hoping to stop anybody. Where are we going next here? We go from the bottom of the alphabet to the top to the team that has not yet been eliminated from the playoffs but i mean they will be the atlanta hawks they are 24 and 47 4 and 7 since the last 15 and 60 26th in net rating 26th in offense 27th in defense and 538 projects them to win 26 games which would put them 12th in the east and the fifth worst record overall and i mean there are a lot of different things that we can talk about with the atlanta hawks they are not only one of my favorite teams to watch but also just a fascinating one in terms of team building and who they have And I I think the place that I want to start is with Trey Young. He had this absolutely disastrous November from basically every perspective. I mean, he shot 36% from the field, 20% from three, and you don't want to discount that all the way. I mean, there was an interesting conversation. Kem Pelton had this with, uh, I wish I could remember the other person's name. And basically, like the takeaway that I got from it, and obviously they were using substance for this, was the end of the season, like the second half is more predictive than the first half. I I have it, whole It's uh, uh, Kosta Medvedovsky, who is an antitrust lawyer in his day job. Uh, but yeah, what their, con- their conclusion awesome. was that if you're trying to predict performance going forward, around 40% of first half performance and 60% second half performance is what your weight should be. And that Andrew Johnson looked at that as well for now in calculus and that that's somewhat true for all players, really. You know, it's not really clear that that's true more for rookies than anyone else. That just you're closer in time to the next season in the second half and it would make sense that that would be a little bit more predictive. So this idea, oh, you're not looking at what he did in the second half. Um, Josh Jackson is an example of a, a player looked better in the second half and really was not able to take the next step here um but so yeah wait the second half a little bit more but don't forget about that first half as well it seems to be the conclusion there sorry sorry to hijack that but you know how important it is for us to uh get names correct here yeah and and i mean i think that's a it's a good conversation and good context for trey young in particular but looking at his full season numbers it's getting closer to what we we thought i mean i would say overall trey young has had a better season than i expected in his rookie year i thought he was going to just suck because he's a young point guard he's you know small and all that 
But overall for the season, 34% from three, 37% on catch and shoot, 33% on pull-ups. And then the more important part of that really is once they got John Collins back and Collins just provided a level of dynamism and competence that they didn't have at the power forward position. He's played some center too, but at power forward, when Trey and Collins play together, 112 offensive rating, which is 68th percentile using cleaning the glasses garbage time filters and their you know their defense sucks that's why they have a negative 2.3 net rating despite an above average offense and when you look at what they're really good at oh crap um so you have this dynamic offense in terms of effective field goal percentage and offensive rebound percentage i mean they're dominant in both of those things but the big question is can they clean up their turnovers i think that's the, the something that i want to watch i mean this hawks team has been just sidetracked by it all year and um they have to figure something out because they have these other good pieces together offensively defensively they have a whole bunch of stuff and you know i like a lot of the a lot of what they're putting at the table especially when they play with kevin herter yeah obviously their three core guys are collins young and herter all three of those guys very offensively focused and they're gonna need to find some defensive upgrades I mean, Dwayne Dedman is somewhat in that vein, but I mean, they're going to need an awesome three and an awesome five if they're going to be able to compete with this group defensively. And maybe you'll see Herter in the fully formed version of this team move into more of a scoring role off the bench. Ben Taylor did a video on Trey Young. I love his videos. I recommend checking those out. Thinking Basketball, I think, is his YouTube channel. He did have a couple of, I agree with most of what he said about Trey Young. He's been lower on him than I have. First of all, he said that Trey Young is the worst defensive player that he's ever seen which is that is that is really tough because Ben has watched a, a lot of basketball I wouldn't quite go that far just because I do think he has at least some instinct for getting steals but yeah I mean he is quite atrocious he doesn't get over screens he is actually very physical offensively which is something that Ben noted in his video in terms of his free throw rate that that's how he gets a lot of his his fouls and as I mentioned when we talked about him going back to his college career he is the most advanced bullshit foul drawer at his age that I had ever seen i'd love to go back and look at like some old james harden film in like 2010 and see if he was doing all the same crap that he does now um so i still think trey at least has some decent instincts but yeah dude his lack of height and his lack of strength and lack of explosiveness certainly he's gonna be a defensive liability in a way that steph curry who you know certainly got a lot stronger i think trey can get a lot stronger that's the one thing he can do to help himself um but steph is 6'3 and Trey is not 6'3. Um, what else do you want to talk about with these guys? Well, so I'll mention also briefly that this is something I mentioned early, pretty early in the season in a 15 and 60 was that Trey Young hasn't been effective as a transition scorer. That is still true. You know, he's 28th percentile, about a point per possession there. But just like was true in college, you know, where he was, the same story was true. He's been pretty solid as a scorer plus passer. That's something that you can do with synergy. 56th percentile, which, you know, I mean, Trey Young has more passing talent than that. But remember that he's a he's a rookie and you, you have all that kind of stuff and the Hawks are the Hawks. So I think that that's, that's interesting. And a, a question that I've been kind of grappling with as I watch the Hawks is... I mean, Trey, I think Trey can be the linchpin of a very successful offense. I think we've already gotten a lot of information there, but trying to figure out, you know, like, okay, if, if, if you're going to count John Collins as a core piece too, and he's incredibly talented, they've been successful when he's been on the floor, it gets hard to kind of build the right kind of team because those two guys just, there isn't a lot of defensive talent there. And then you think, okay, well, if you want to bring in a center who's capable defensively, you know, can clean up the messes, that kind of archetype. Well, those guys generally can't space the floor as well. Then you're looking for a unicorn and then you start to wonder how does that affect the spacing with John Collins and with everything else. And so, you know, it, it might just be, you know, some of this is like a, you know, it's a first world problem thing. It's a, you know, conference finals type of team question. And the Hawks obviously aren't there yet. But, you know, you do kind of want to have these conversations and think about these sorts of things early on because how they think about their draft picks, they might have two picks in the top 10 this year. You know, those kinds of types of conversations are important. Yeah, I do think they should probably still be in best player available mode here. But you mentioned Collins. The analog, really, in terms of a successful team, John Collins, I think, is somewhat similar defensively to Amari Stoudemire. Although, I will say, probably not quite as bad as Stoudemire was. Uh, But Trey is a lot worse than Steve Nash was. And yeah, those Suns seems really successful. But uh, I don't know that John Collins and Trey Young are going to get you to being the greatest offense of all time, (laughs) the way those Suns teams were. But uh, again, when you're just mired 
in the lottery i certainly like their rebuild better than say chicago's or better than cleveland's at, at this point in time although the hawks had a year ahead start on cleveland so i do think they're in better position than a lot of these teams but you're also looking at a ceiling on this team defensively that is going to be difficult to get around ultimately and i know certainly travis schlank is someone who plans ahead quite a bit um before we move on here to more dregs of the east i'll tell you about quip my recent trip also gave me a chance to fully appreciate my quip toothbrush it's easily the best electric toothbrush out there if you're not using an electric toothbrush yet you're really i think doing yourself a disservice in terms of oral hygiene you've probably got sore teeth you're just making it harder on yourself too you're probably at risk for not brushing long enough as well quip has a, a timer it's not as harsh as other electric toothbrushes it just uses a triple a battery so you don't have to worry about charging it constantly whether you're at home or if you take it on vacation it's basically the size of a normal toothbrush as well so it fits in your top kit perfectly well no more space than a, a normal toothbrush and you can sign up for their subscription service to get refill packs free so they come in you know every three months it arrives and you won't find yourself brushing with worn out bristles uh, as well it's just oral health is you know brushing your teeth it's not something that we enjoy doing necessarily we don't look forward to it it's not something you really want to think about and so quip is the easiest way to make sure that you are doing it properly because it is important even though it's annoying to have to do it helps you do it properly with the minimum amount of actually having to think about it once you sign up for that subscription service the way to get started with them is at getquip.com slash catspace and you can get a quip toothbrush starting at just 25 dollars. getquip.com slash catspace and if you go to that url number one you'll let them know for, that you came from us which is important and number two you will get your first refill pack for free with that quip electric toothbrush that's your first refill pack for free at getquip g-e-t-q-u-i-p.com slash catspace getquip.com slash catspace all right, who's up next here, Denny? Next, we have the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls are 20 and 52, 4 and 8 since the last 15 and 60. 27th in net rating at negative 7.9, 27th in defense, sorry, 27th in offense, 25th in defense. They are projected to win 23 games. They aren't making the playoffs. And they they blew out the Suns on on Monday. They, it, was, it was a bigger lead, but then it ended up being 116-101. Before that, they had lost six out of seven, and that one win out of the seven was by one point, and they'd gotten worked in a lot of those games. Good news for them, Zach Levine returned on Friday, so he's played in three games since he since he returned from that right patellar tendon strain, 31 against the Clippers, 18 against Sac, and then 17 against the Suns in that win. And I think the the place, though, to start really with them uh, is how they've looked and how Otto Porter has looked since they brought him in. I did want to mention one thing. The uh, Jim Boylan first got simultaneously ejected with Doc Rivers after jawing with him back and forth. And then after calling a timeout with 40 seconds left, I guess just to get his starters out of the game, in theory, he ran an ATO and Kokoshkov was annoyed at Boylan for calling the timeout, had his team intentionally fouled a blow up the ato and then walked off the court before jim boylan could do the little coach wave thing so boylan does not appear to be a particularly popular figure among his coaching brethren perhaps there is also a feeling although i've never heard any actual evidence to support this that he undermined fred hoiberg in some fashion but yeah, Porter has been fantastic. I and mean, we talked about how he was going to make this team a lot better. And he's a good case for why the new lottery rules have helped a little bit. I don't know if the Bulls, I mean, maybe they would have just acquired him and not played him that much. But I don't know if the, he could be having the same positive impact under the old rules when they would really be tanking as hard as they possibly could. And considering what they've had at the three, basically for the last two years since Jimmy Butler was traded, he's really helped them be a lot better porter has started all 15 games he has played in with chicago averaging 18 points five and a half rebounds in 33 minutes a game 18 per 61 true shooting on you know 20 21 and a half usage the true shooting's about in line with his last two seasons in washington but not surprisingly higher usage rate he was in the high teens as a wizard but he he moves higher in the pecking order on a less talented team a big part of what has been driving his effectiveness now Otto porter has been a, a, a strong three-point shooter for a couple of years now but he's making 49 percent of them so far as a bull taking about eight per hundred possessions that's 40 percent of his shots so we would expect some 
some regression there. But it is worth noting, you know, so like that depends on how you're seeing it in terms of the full season versus his Bulls tenure. Porter now for the whole season is up to 48% from three. That's actually below what he did his last two full years on the Wizards. So if you want to say, yeah, he's going to, yeah, 41%. So 41% for the season, 49% as a bull. And so last year he was at last year he was at forty not or forty four and then forty three the year before that. So you know the overall picture is probably pretty close, but that that part's there. And even if it was forty one, if that he's a forty one percent three point shooter at his frequency, that's great. You know you're you're happy with that. It's obviously better if it's a little there. And then what's interesting with with Porter also is that the Bulls have looked very good offensively. Now it's a different part of the year. I mean we're seeing the Alfred Payton triple double experience in New Orleans, but you know the the Bulls having a 114 offensive rating in Porter's minutes. They played over a thousand possessions now with him on the floor. That's great. Slightly positive net rating. Happy with that as well. And when you combine him, because uh, Levine's missed some time, when you when you look at Levine, Porter, Markinen together, their offensive rating is even stronger. They're 116 and a plus 2.8 net rating. Something that I found really fascinating is that there's a weird split. Granted, we're dealing not with the biggest sample size because you, you can kind of split that sort of in two. For whatever reason, they've been pretty damn good. It's in most of those configurations, but they've been awful when you add Chris Dunn. And some of that is just sample size. You know, it's just like they had a bad game. They play, they got killed by Team X and Dunn played in that game, but he didn't play in a different one. But so I said they have a plus 2.8 rating when Levine, Porter, and Markin play together. That includes having 506 possessions with a negative 10 net rating with Chris Dunn there. I don't think that's like, oh, Chris Dunn's killing the team or anything like that. I just found it interesting. Uh, I think it's partially Chris Dunn is killing their, their offense, to be sure, because they have other guys who are initiating the offense and then Dunn is off the ball and uh, I mean he went through a stretch where he didn't hit a three-pointer for almost a month this is a stat that I found absolutely crazy and Dunn was supposed to be this physical marvel at the point guard position he's taken more than three free throw attempts in a game only three times this entire season and that is just I I can't believe that I I don't know how that could be possible uh, for a a starting point guard so it looks like certainly the Bulls I don't think they'll move on from him I think he could be a capable backup but it appears that he is no longer in their plans as the starter and rightfully so Larry Markkinen has had a very interesting stretch of late he hit 20 points in 11 straight games and then prior to the game against Phoenix failed to hit 20 in eight straight I think he didn't in that Phoenix game either but this is before that Phoenix game uh part of the problem in that latest stretch 26 percent from three and above the break has been really bad 24 percent 10 out of 41 up there but even during that really hot streak because above the break three was not amazing only 33 percent the distribution of his shots has changed somewhat he was finishing 71 percent at the rim during the hot streak and 33 percent of his shots there down to 25 percent of his shots and still finishing well at the rim there and then what's really killed him is the two-point jumper has been way off seven of 22 paint non-restricted one of 11 so it looks like he's just not making shots i'm not that worried about that I, I think he was hitting perhaps at a slightly unsustainable rate before this the other thing though is that he's not getting to the foul line as much during that nice stretch that he had he had more than six free throw attempts five times in 11 games and only two games with less than five and now in this recent stretch the most he's taken is six free throw attempts and he's had a lot of two two three four so i think really the free throw line in terms of how he's actually playing it seems like the biggest part to me how much he's actually attacking the basket as we saw the lower percentage of shots at the rim but if you look at his overall numbers other than four percent higher usage which is good he was like 21 percent last year 25 percent this year pretty much every number is just about identical to his rookie year shot selection three point percentage 36 percent both years a little bit lower dunk rate this year actually than he had last year so we'll see I I think again you have to look at the overall picture here there was a thought all right he was coming back from the elbow injury that's why he was really struggling when he went through that hot streak and had a hot month and now man what a a prospect this guy is and then he's dropped off a little bit again so I once again the caution to look at the larger sample size even when there is a story reason like all right he's coming back from injury and now he's good again uh to not get carried away with something like that something else I want to keep my eye on with Markinen is that so he is getting to the line more he's 
free throw attempt rate has gone up meaningfully this year, but his proportion of shots at the rim has gone down. Sometimes that's, you know, you're converting, you're converting drives into fouls instead of shots at the rim. So, so be it. But also he's shooting a lot more floaters, you know, so that was 12% of his distribution before this year, like his rookie year. This year it's 18%. I mean, that's not, those aren't necessarily great. Those aren't great shots anyway, but also he's, you know, was a 34% on those last year, 43 this year. Neither one of those is strong. And yeah, I mean, you, you brought up, you know, his three point attempt rate and all that kind of stuff. Also, he shot 36% on threes last year, 36% this year and 50% on twos, 49% this year. So there is still a lot. I mean, there, there's a lot that you can take from the positive stretches here and he's still, this is his age 21 season. But I mean, it's, it is remarkable kind of like, I mean, with the, the, you always want, especially as a fan of a particular team or a particular player, you want to take a lot from those positive stretches and think that's, that's what this is. And, you know, there are reason to believe that he will have a lot more of those stretches moving forward, but you have to look at the whole thing because you, you, a player doesn't have these, like, you know, they don't play just a series of hot eight game stretches for the rest of it. There's random variants and everything else. Also worth noting for Markman, this is interesting that when he plays center, negative 8.7 net rating, which not much worse than what they are for the season, but first percent. 123 defensive rating per cleaning the glass when he plays center they foul a ton in particular when he's out there at center and teams shoot 59.2 e-field goal percentage which uh is about as bad as it gets as well so certainly this team doesn't have the wing size that could help you defend around someone like Markinen at center but the evidence has indicated so far that he has failed and some of those include playing with Bobby Portis as well where he's marked as the center when he played with Portis that might not be fair but anybody having to play defense next to Bobby Portis probably isn't fair actually but uh it doesn't look like that's going to be a viable unit anytime soon unless they really get a lot more defensive reinforcements around let's jump to the next team the Cleveland Cavaliers they are 18 and 53 four and seven in the last 15 and 60 including a win over the Blake Griffin list Detroit Pistons on Monday night and a game when when Colin Sexton put up some numbers I mean a lot of a lot of guys did for for the Pistons but Sexton had 27 on 10 to 16 from the field and that's actually a place to start um again sample sizes perspective all that kind of stuff Sexton since the all-star break his numbers his scoring numbers are a lot better you know 20 points a game 60% true shooting 50 59% true shooting on 26% usage in 13 games interestingly his scoring he's gotten a lot more efficient but he his assist rate has not gone up at all it's actually almost identical to what it was in the early stretch of the season and it is good that he's making more twos he's up to 48% since the all-star break which is a lot better than earlier in the season and then the other big part I mean he was you know 39 percent three-point shooter before the all-star break now he's since then up to 46 percent from there now I don't expect really for anybody to be 46 and he was that was a huge part of their win against the Pistons when he was five of six but it is good to see Sexton and also I think we talked about this the last time we talked about the Cavs that he's gotten a lot better at driving for assists one of the big buckets in that Cleveland game he drove not looking to I mean obviously if the shot was there he would have taken it but he drove and then he kicked it out I think was to Nawaba and then Nawaba moved it to Chetty Osman who made the three which I think put them up five or something like that and those plays have to be a part of Colin Sexton's repertoire no matter where his game goes. Sports Nam on Twitter had this that Sexton from February 6th on has really changed his shot profile before then a ton of mid-rangers which he wasn't hitting a ton of and also was shooting extremely poorly at the rim he's now shooting more shots in the lane floaters and shots at the rim and he's shooting a little bit better percentage than he was and then obviously those three-pointers but he's taking a lot more threes perhaps emboldened by the fact that he's making them so that is one reason to believe that this is a little bit more fundamental of a change here when his shot profile has changed and of course what what has happened Kevin Love has returned and I think that's given a lot more room uh for him to get all the way to the rim and you know perhaps someone got in his ear and said hey you're taking too many mid-rangers chill out here uh as 
perhaps the same way as when hey you're taking too many difficult shots at the rim you need to look to pass it but i I mean love is just so much better than anyone else they've had i mean they've been playing some lineups where they're playing with two bigs who aren't three-point shooters or you know the spacing that loves provided is really underrated especially for a team like this that is so bad uh did we do we did all their fundamentals right the caps uh i'm trying to remember i wow i i I know i did no i think i just did their record and then i got sidetracked by the pistons game i'll go through it the negative 9.5 net rating is 29th in the league 24th in offense dead last in defense oh oh, and and by the way they're projected by the way that dead last in defense that's not for just this season that's for all time and granted this is one of the highest and yeah. highest offensive environments we've ever had and i don't know where they stand now as far as relative to the rest of the league but as of right now they are actually two points per 100 worse than the 90-91 denver nuggets a team that comes up quite frequently when we are talking about bad defensive records they once gave up 107 points and a half to the phoenix suns that year so they always come up with uh when a team puts up just a ton of points in the first half it's like no nope, i don't think any was ever going to break that record of 107 in a first half um and i mean in that team that was paul westfall he got hired out of loyola marymount after they had that incredible run which uh, of course was ended up being sullied by the hank gathers situation but westfall got hired again he had been the coach of the lakers he was the guy who actually magic johnson got fired from the lakers and then he resurfaced in college and that loyal marymount team had a, a magical tournament run before they got killed by unlv in 1990 but then he got hired at the nba and brought that system to the nuggets and that was a nuggets team that uh, did not have a lot of talent but michael adams sure put up some counting stats that year i think he might have actually even made the all-star team which was kind of an embarrassment but uh anyway this Cavs team is uh two points 100 possessions worse than that team <laughs> that basically was playing that loyal marymount shoot uh, the moment that you get it type of style and, and not even bothering with defense so that that is uh pretty remarkable sorry to interrupt you there but uh you know that's uh no, that's fine and they're 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 three points per 100 possessions about they're 2.8 clear of everyone else in the league that's this insane. year so yeah this is a that is a better offensive team and like that's a bigger margin you know than than I think we've seen on the offensive end as great as like some of those Warriors teams have been like that's that's pretty remarkable and then obviously the league average is 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 well better than that a couple injury things for them Del Vidova has missed five straight games with a concussion Larry Nance Jr. is dealing with a rib contusion he didn't play against Dallas and then he also didn't play against the Pistons but it seems like he's like more of like a late late scratch type of thing rather than that he's like gonna be about so he might come back soon Tristan Thompson also didn't play in in those recent games but he could be coming back soon from foot soreness he's missed a bunch of time and actually Kevin Love didn't play against the Pistons as well it was without Love without Griffin so they started Osman at the four they were playing Osman Nawaba Brandon Knight Colin Sexton and Ante Zizic and that's a worthwhile lead-in into their deadline additions we won't spend as much time on them for a couple obvious reasons Brandon Knight has started 15 of 16 games as a member of the Cavs he is averaging 8.6 points 2.4 assists in 21 minutes a game and I think the most important thing for me with him is that it, it looks like he could be or will be in Cleveland's rotation next year. They don't have a ton of roster flexibility. They don't even really have a mechanism to swap him for like a, unless they want to take a longer contract. Like they're getting pretty much up against it in terms of the tax. And I don't think he should start. I mean, not if they want to be any good, but capable rotation guy. He's made 42% of his threes, which are half of his shots. Career 36%. So like it's, it's better than you'd expect, but not ridiculous. And you know, he's been been above average efficiency, 17% usage. So, you know, more of like that off ball guard who can be a secondary creator, but considering the injury history that he'd gone through and everything else as a member of, you know, various teams, the Pistons, the Suns over the last couple of years, it's, it's good to see him actually on the court and doing decently well. Less decently well has been Marquise Chris. 18 minutes a game, he actually started two out of 16 games. Probably his biggest contribution was getting Serge Ibaka thrown out against Toronto, a game that they also won. 7.1 points, five rebounds, but only 50% true shooting. And the whole point of Marquise Chris at this point is he's supposed to be an efficient finisher. He's not giving you anything defensively. I mean, I think if anything, athleticism-wise, he's regressed from his son's days. The fact that he's only shooting 56% at the rim, I mean, he's taking a lot of shots there, but I mean, that's atrocious for a guy his size. And one thing I noted about him coming out of college was, yeah, when he could dunk, it looked really good, but he wasn't really the best touch finisher. 
around the rim and that's uh clearly been the case here in cleveland as well and then the three-pointer is not going down i was really hopeful that his shooting would come around in the nba and that he could be a high 30s three-point shooter i just thought his stroke looked really good in washington and from the college three-point line and i think the nba three-point line it's just been difficult for him to stretch that out for whatever reason and you know we're at the point now where it's you can't really believe that he's gonna be a solid shooter so i mean if i mean to me i don't think he's even worth a roster spot next year at this point unless things really turn over this next month or so i would agree with you and i hope that if he wants to keep playing and he certainly has the physical talent to keep playing somewhere other than the nba that like he could be a player who just has to get a lot better in europe or somewhere else now i don't think china would be the best thing for him just in terms of the improvements that are necessary to become an nba player but i mean physical talent is there but he's gonna have to work his ass off because there's a long way between what he has been and what he needs to be which is a good thing for players to kind of understand hopefully he can get that hopefully that this season can be a a reality check there and it'll just be about what the time he puts in we will close this out with the new york knickerbockers they are 14 and 57 two and nine since the last 15 60 though that does include a triumphant win over the lakers i am going to do finish their stats then we'll talk about that negative 9.7 net rating puts them 30th in the league dead last in offense 29th in defense and they're not going to finish in last because they're they would have to basically just like walk off the court every defensive possession to to pass the Cavs. um 538 projects them to win 17 games which would put them actually three games clear of everybody else for the worst record in the league now tanking and other you know like some of the adjustments could end up doing that but also the other teams around them are playing better and they've been eliminated from the playoffs in that Lakers game, they had a big first quarter. I think he had 41, something like that in the first quarter. Uh, Moutier had 28 points in the game. Dotson had 25 on 20 shots. And Mario Hazonia blocked LeBron on the final possession of the game and stared him down a little bit, which was pretty glorious. As the Archbishop of the Church, that was always that's always a nice moment. They also did that without Dennis Smith. Smith has missed three straight games with a sore yeah, lower and, back. And will miss a fourth, actually, Frank, uh, on Wednesday against the Jazz. And Yeah, and then... Frank Nokina still out with his groin issue. Vonley had a sprained ankle against the Spurs, did not play against the Lakers. So they're they're dealing with a different kind of combination of guys. So there are kind of a couple different threads that we want to talk about the Knicks, but we might as well start with their additions, which in this case are Dennis Smith and DeAndre Jordan. We're not really going to count John Jenkins and Henry Ellison. Yeah, also worth noting, actually, that Neil Aquina finally has been cleared to return to practice. So uh, I assume having missed so much time, they'll ease him back in. Uh, Smith, 14.6 points, six assists in 30 minutes a game, similar minutes to what he was playing in Dallas usage is up true shooting is down it's been the three-point percentage that's been the major problem for him but only 46 percent on twos as well i mean that's probably the most worrisome but uh, and obviously they've sucked with him on the floor but you know there he's also playing with kevin Knox, who might be one of the most damaging players in the league this season uh they don't have a ton of spacing out there uh, with him either it's not been a great ecosystem for him other than having a role man in deandre jordan so uh, he's had a couple of big games the hope was maybe he could really put up some numbers boost his value that hasn't happened though to this point deandre jordan is interestingly putting up similar counting stats despite playing fewer minutes per game he started 15 games played about 27 minutes a game 11 and 11 and 12 11 points 12 rebounds 67 percent or sorry 69 percent true shooting 23 per which are on 17 usage all of which are way higher than as a member of the dallas mavericks interestingly he's getting more off his offensive rebound rate has gone up but his proportion of shots at the rim has gone down i i would need to i, I don't have a firm grasp of why that is but again we're dealing with small sample size so it can't be that something i wanted to talk about briefly he is loved by defensive rpm i mean he's fourth among centers in defensive rpms or fourth among centers in defensive rpm 16th overall i think personally i don't have a, a way to look into the black box that they over that it overrates who gets the defensive rebound rather than whether a team defensive rebounds that's my theory i i don't have i don't have the time or the means to test it but you know I, I i don't think he's that good of a defensive player but he's been a productive center and his value this offseason is going to really i think going to be one of the calibrators for how people see centers because i don't think that there is a lot of discrepancy about what kind of player deandre jordan is it's just a question of how valuable is that player 
Yeah. Now, if he actually defended the way he did at the peak of his Clippers tenure, which is only a couple of years, really, I mean, he just doesn't bring the effort on every play or anywhere close to it, then he's a valuable player. I mean, I, I would predict something in a one or two year deal, you know, around 10 million a season, and that that might even end up being too much, frankly. Uh, you did a bunch of work on Alonzo Trier as he gets into that interesting offseason with that team option for about $3 million. Yeah, I got interested in, in Trier. I can't remember which of the Knicks games I was watching. It was about a week ago. And just, I find his... I find his game fascinating. He's a very confident driver, not necessarily productive there, but also he has been more effective than I would have expected. I also wasn't super familiar with him at Arizona as a shooter. So 1.1 points per end possession per 1.1 points per possession as a spot up guy. That's very good. You're happy with that. Been pretty effective coming off screens and isolation. Isozo, you know, like that's true. You know, I think this is instructive. So Isozo, he is 79th percentile at one point per possession as an isolation player, but that one point per possession is still lower than he is as like a spot up shooter and a lot of other things. It's just that isolations aren't that aren't that effective overall. So you kind of piece that together um, with the fact that he's, you know, like his shooting has looked very good. You know, he's making 39% of his threes, about 26% of his shots, also getting to the line a lot, 43% free throw rate, 80% free throw shooter, averaging 15 points since the all star break above average true shooting and so you have all that and like there's a, there are a lot of pieces of that that i really like he's been not a, he's been he hasn't been super effective as a transition scorer I, I ended up i was so interested in that i watched a bunch of film kind of like the aaron gordon pick and roll thing from the 15 from the other part of the 1560 and what i noticed was he is very comfortable driving into traffic and just gets himself caught into caught into problems if he could just take out the like the 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 bottom 10% of the like decisions that he makes in those sorts of circumstances, it would look a lot better. He does a lot of no hoping type stuff there, which is concerning, but I think you can tone that out of his game. You still want him to grab and go. You still want him to push a little bit, you know, especially at six, five, you know, if he can get the ball, you want him to do that, but just avoid the worst decisions. But then the part that I ended up also getting really interested in because this team is terrible. And I mean, everybody kind of knows that is that the, the kind of the, the on off stats despise Alonzo Trier. So he's negative negative 2.6 PIPM puts him, you know, in the bottom 75 of the league. He is 109 out of 114 in RPM among shooting guards. And something that I found fascinating is that PIPM has him more negative on offense than defense, which I would not have expected. And then RPM has it the opposite way. So I think sometimes, and this was true with De'Aaron Fox last year, that sometimes when a player is on a team this bad, it can be trouble. It it, uh, it can be hard to separate out. Is he bad or is, is it somebody else? You know, it's a portioning blame, apportioning credit. But I mean, if I were to, and why this all matters is, I mean, beyond the fact that it's, you know, he's an NBA player is because the way that his contract is structured, the Knicks have a $3.6 million team option, which I believe has an early decision date. I think it's like June 20th or something like that. And it's, as I understand it, it's a fully guaranteed team option. So that means they have to choose between picking it up and then you have that on your books and we know about what they want to do. Or they could decline that, and you're not going to decline that and make him a restricted free agent because doing that actually gives him a higher cap number. So they have to probably make this decision in mid June, mid to late June of do we want this guy for 3.6 million? And that's a tough decision that they didn't have to create for themselves. Yeah, I think the concern was that they would convert him unilaterally and then they wouldn't have the means to match a contract to him because they would basically only have the room exception, any contract longer than three years, they wouldn't be able to match. I mean, really, to be honest, if you thought he was that good, I mean, I guess they, he's still, maybe they should have just kept him on the two-way and tried to hide him a little bit. Now, who knows what kind of a contract he's going to end up getting and who knows what kind of intent they'll have on who's coming if they decline the team option or or if they pick it up maybe the hope is that they're uh, they had a little bit of an arrangement in advance here that all right we're gonna pay you three million for this year which is so much more than you could have gotten and that then hey you know what maybe we'll give you a little bit of consideration and sign a minimum contract next year as a wink wink and then we'll have early bird rights on you two years from now and you'll have a low cap hold and we'll uh, bring you back for more than that you know maybe that's what this is here to signify but i'm uh 
I'm very, very interested to see where that goes. And obviously, the Knicks may have perhaps the most fascinating offseason. And uh, I bet that offseason can't get here soon enough for Knicks fans. I want to remind you that support for today's show comes from Sonos with their home theater. Feel like you're at the game with 5.1 Saran San. I love Sonos because of their Sonos One, which blends the great sound with Amazon Alexa. You can use your voice to control music, podcasts, and more. You just ask it. When we have friends over and they are better DJs than, than us, we just hand over control of the Sonos to them. The way to get started with them is to go to Sonos.com. That's S-O-N-O-S.com. Sonos.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.